And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, we're back to our hour format. And this is December 6th, 2020. Stateside, December 6, uh, 1941, was December 7th, 1941, in Hawaii. And that was the, according to FDR, the day they would live in infamy when a Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. Now, there's been a lot of conspiracies uh, circulating that, uh, well, you know, FDR knew about it, and FDR wanted a war, and Churchill... Uh, knew there was going to be an attack, and he kept it covered up because he wanted us in the war on their side. So we're going to examine some of those uh, conspiracy theories. Um, you know, it was a Sunday, and as was the case with most military posts on a Sunday, folks slept late. There was no duty, except those on watch on the ships. Now, ever since the Japanese attack, there's been a lot of debate as to why and how we've been caught so off guard and how much uh, and when we knew the Japanese were going to attack. The, uh, in September 1944, John Flynn, co-founder of the non-interventionist American First Committee, launched the Pearl Harbor counter-narrative when he published a 46-page booklet entitled The Truth About Pearl Harbor. And in that book, he argued that Roosevelt and his inner circle had been plotting to provoke the Japanese into an attack and uh, provide a reason to get into war since, and he'd been trying to do that since January 1941. Now, a number of writers, including a retired U.S. Navy Admiral named Theobald, and Harry Barnes have argued that various parties high in the government of the U.S. and the U.K. knew about the attack in advance and even let it happen or encouraged it in order to ensure that we got into the war. The European theory of war via Japanese-American war started at what was called the back door. Now, most historians uh, reject it, of course. I mean, there's no way FDR would have allowed American servicemen to die just to carry out his um, plans. And that just shows they don't know him very well. Now, the U.S. government, between 1941 and 1946, made nine official inquiries into the attack. And in 1995, there was a tenth one done. They included an inquiry by Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox in 1941, the Roberts Commission in 1941 and 42, the Hart Inquiry in 44, Army of Pearl Harbor Board in 1944, the Naval Court of Inquiry in 1944, the Hewitt Investigation, the Clark Investigation, the Congressional Inquiry, now that was known as the Pearl Harbor Committee, and it took place in 45 and 46. Then it was a top-secret inquiry by Secretary of War Stimson, authorized by Congress and carried out by Henry Clausen, 
1946, and the Thurman Spence hearing in April of 95 that produced the Dom Report. Now, after all this time and all this money and all these inquiries, they found incompetence, underestimation, and misapprehension of Japanese capabilities and intentions. And there were problems that resulted from excessive secrecy about cryptography, division responsibility between the Army and the Navy, and the fact they didn't talk to each other, and a lack of adequate manpower for intelligence, such as analysis, collection, and processing. Now, the investigators that were involved prior to Clausen didn't have the security clearance necessary to see the most sensitive information. As Brigadier General Henry Rusk been appointed guardian of the pre-war decrypts, and he alone held the combination to the storage safe, and he wasn't about to release it. Now, Clausen claimed, in spite of Secretary Stimson having given him a letter informing witnesses he had the necessary clearances to get them to cooperate, um, said he was p- repeatedly lied to until they produced copies of top-secret decrypts that proved he did, in fact, have the proper clearance. Now, Stimson's report to Congress, based on Clausen's work, was limited due to secrecy, of course, largely about cryptography. more complete account wasn't made publicly available until the mid-'80s. It wasn't published until 1992. Now, reaction to the 92 publication is varied. Some regard it as a valuable addition to understanding the events. One historian noted that Clausen didn't speak to General Short, Army Commander at Pearl Harbor, during the attack and called Clausen's investigation notoriously unreliable in several aspects. See, historians all have their, their own idea, and if you say anything that contradicts what they believe is the case... Oh, heaven help you. Now, some article uh, authors have argued that Roosevelt was actively provoking the Japanese in the weeks prior to the Pearl Harbor attack. And these authors assert that Roosevelt was eminently expecting and seeking war, but wanted Japan to take the first aggressive action. Now, FDR, more than anything else, wanted us to get into war in Europe on the side of Great Britain. And he and Churchill had had their heads together every chance they got. Now, one perspective is given by Rear Admiral Frank Beatty, uh, who at the time of the Pearl Harbor attack was an aide to the Secretary of Navy, Frank Knox, and was a member of uh, FDR's inner circle. And he said prior to December 7th, it was evident even to him that they were pushing Japan into a corner. He believed it was the desire of President Roosevelt and Prime Minister Churchill we get into the war as they felt the Allies couldn't win without us and all our efforts to cause the Germans to declare war on us had failed. Uh, the conditions we imposed on Japan, get out of China, for example, so severe that there was no way Japan was going to accept them. So we were actually forcing her so severely that uh, we should have known that she'd react toward the U.S., um, in the way that she did. All her preparations in a military way, and we had a pretty good idea what the Japan, uh, Japanese were up to, pointed to that uh, end. Another view, similar to Beatty's, is, was provided by Roosevelt's administrative assistant at the time of Pearl Harbor, Jonathan Daniels, 
And it was a uh, comment about FDR's reaction to the attack. He said the blow was heavier than he had hoped it would necessarily be. But the risk paid off. Even the loss was worth the price. Now, that's an interesting comment coming from the commander-in-chief. He didn't mind losing people if he got what he wanted. Ten days before the attack on Pearl Harbor, Henry Stimson, Secretary of War at the time, entered in his diary the much-argued-about statement. He met with Roosevelt to discuss the evidence of impending hostilities with Japan and the question was how we should maneuver them, the Japanese, into the position of facing, firing the first shot without allowing too much danger to ourselves. In other words, how do we provoke them into attacking us? Now, Stimson, reviewing his diary after the war, recalled that the commanders at Pearl Harbor had been warned about the fact there could be an attack, and that the poor state of readiness that the attack had revealed was a surprise to him, and by extension, surprise to the uh, president as well. General Short had been told the two essential facts, war with Japan was threatening and hostile action by Japan is possible at any moment. Given these two uh, facts, both of which are uh, stated without uh, equivocation in the message of November 27, 1941, the outpost commander should have been on the alert in order to uh, do the best response he could. To cluster his airplanes and small groups as he did and positioned that in an emergency that they couldn't take off the air for several hours and keep his anti-aircraft ammunition stored so it couldn't be properly immediately available. And the fact he didn't use his best reconnaissance system, radar, only for, for a small fraction of the day and night, uh, showed a misconception of his real duty. It was almost beyond belief. It was like everybody was cooperating to make it easy for the Japanese to attack. Now, Robert Stennett wrote a book called Day of Deception, uh, Deceit. Suggests a memorandum prepared by Commander McCollum was central to U.S. policy in the immediate pre-war period. According to Stennett, the memo suggested only a direct attack on the U.S. interest would get the American public, or Congress for that matter, to favor direct involvement in the European war, specifically in support of the British um, operations. An attack by Japan would not, uh, and in fact it couldn't, aid Britain. Now the memo was passed to Captains Walter Anderson and Dudley Knox, two of Roosevelt's military advisors, on October 7, 1940. There's no evidence to suggest Roosevelt ever saw it, uh, and Stennett claims of evidence that Roosevelt did is non-existent. And although Anderson and Knox offered eight specific plans to, uh, to annoy the Japanese Empire and added if by these means Japan could be led to commit an overt act of war, so much the better. And Stennett also went on the day of deceit to claim that all these um, action items recommended by these two officers were in fact implemented. But there are numerous instances of members of the Roosevelt administration insisting on not provoking Japan. Mark Perillo, in his essay, The U.S. in the Pacific, wrote, uh, These theories tend to founder on the logic of the situation. Had Roosevelt and the other members of the administration known of the attack in advance, they uh, 
would have been foolish to sacrifice one of the major instruments needed to win the war just to get the U.S. to get into the war. The uh, you've, you've got to keep in mind when you consider all these aspects. Was any of the officials, such as Oliver uh, Lyttelton, the British Minister of War Production, he made the comment, Japan was provoked into attacking the Americans at Pearl Harbor. It's a travesty of history ever to say that America was forced into the war. Everybody knows where American sympathies were. And it's incorrect to say America was truly neutral before America got into the war. Because we were supporting the Allies with everything we possibly could. Um, I mean, let's not forget the Lend-Lease Program, which was enacted in March of 1941. It informally declared an end to American neutrality in favor of the Allies by agreeing to supply Allied nations with war materials. In addition, Roosevelt authorized a so-called neutrality patrol that would protect the merchantmen of Britain from attack by Germany. This made shipping legitimate target of attack uh, by submarines. And he also ordered U.S. destroyers to report U-boats and then later authorized them to shoot on sight, which in fact made us a de facto belligerent. Now, none of the none was the act of a disinterested neutral. All were unquestionably of assistance to Britain. Now, there was a book called uh, Infamy that said uh, the officer of naval intelligence knew about Japanese carrier movements. And he cited entries from the di uh, diary of Rear Admiral J.E. Meyer Rennett of the Dutch Navy for December 2nd and December 6th. Ranoff attended briefings at the Office of Naval Intelligence on these dates, and according to the author of Infamy, he wrote he was told by the Office of Naval Intelligence that two Japanese carriers were northwest of Honolulu. But the diary uses the Dutch abbreviation BEW, meaning westerly, contradicting the claim by the author. Nor did any other person present at the briefings report hearing what was reported in the book. In the reviews of the book, Daniel Kahn and John Zimmerman suggested uh, Raniff's uh, reference was to carriers near the Marshall Islands. And there was, you have to keep in mind that when an author writes a book putting out his position, uh, anything remotely supporting what he has to say is going to be put in the window for everybody to see. It may or may not be the actual hard truth. Now, according to the diary of Rear Admiral uh, Renner, at uh, on six twelve forty one at two o'clock in the morning, they feared a Japanese attack on Manila. At uh, two in the afternoon, the diary states everyone present at the Office of Naval Intelligence. Um, and he spoke to Director Admiral Wilkinson, Captain McCullum, Lieutenant Commander Kramer. They actually showed where the two carriers were west of Honolulu. And he asked what the idea is of these carriers being at that place. Um, 
And the answer was in connection with Japanese reports uh, on eventual American actions. Then we've got CBS correspondent Edward R. Murrah at a dinner appointment at the White House December 7th. And because of the attack, he and his wife only ate with Mrs. Roosevelt, but the president asked Murrah to stay afterwards. As he waited outside the Oval Office, Murrah observed government and military officials entering and leaving. After the war, he wrote, uh, there was ample opportunity to observe at close range the bearing and expression of Mr. Stimson, Colonel Knox, Secretary Hall. If they were not surprised by the news of Pearl Harbor, then that group of elderly men were putting on a performance that would have excited the admiration of any actor. Maybe the degree of the disaster uh, was more than expected. But um, he couldn't believe that they fully anticipated everything that was going to happen. One historian wrote that when Maura met Roosevelt with William Donovan of the OSS that night, while the magnitude of the destruction of Pearl Harbor horrified the president, Roosevelt seemed slightly less surprised by the attack than anybody else in the room. According to Murrah, the president told him, maybe you think the attack didn't surprise us. And Murrah was asked to stay as a witness. When allegations of Roosevelt's foreknowledge appeared after the war, John Gunther asked Murrah about the meeting. And Murrah reportedly responded, the full story would pay for his son's college education. If you think I'm going to give it to you, you're out of your mind. However, before his death, Murrah did not write that story. Now, keep in mind, if you will, theorists challenging the traditional view that Pearl Harbor was surprised repeatedly note that Roosevelt wanted us to get involved against Germany, though he never officially said so. The basic understanding of the political situation of 1941 precludes any possibility the public wanted war. Fleming, uh, Thomas Fleming, argued President Roosevelt wanted Germany or Japan to strike the first blow, but didn't expect the U.S. to be hit as severely as it was at Pearl Harbor. And an attack by Japan on the U.S. couldn't guarantee that we'd declare war on Germany. Now, after such an attack, American public anger would be directed at Japan, not Germany, and that's exactly what happened. The tripartite pact, that's Germany, Italy, and Japan, call for each other to each member to come to the aid of the others. So Japan couldn't reasonably claim America to attack Japan if she struck first. I mean, Germany had been at war with the UK since 1939 with Russia since June of 41, without any Japanese assistance. There had been a serious, if low-level, naval war going on in the Atlantic between Germany and the U.S. since the summer of 41. On October 17th, a U-boat torpedoed a U.S. destroyer, USS Kearney, inflicted severe damage in killing 11 crewmen. Two weeks after the attack on the Kearney, a, a U-boat sank an American destroyer. USS Reuben James killed 115 sailors. Nevertheless, it was only Hitler's declaration of war on December 11th that uh, brought the U.S. into the European war. Now, he really wasn't, Hitler really wasn't required to declare war under that treaty. But, because uh, we didn't attack Japan, they attacked us. But he chose to do it anyway. 
Now, Clausen and Lee's Pearl Harbor Final Judgment, which is another book of interest, reproduces a purple message dated November 29, 1941, from the Japanese ambassador in Berlin to Tokyo. The closing paragraph, now the, the Japanese and Germans didn't know we could read the purple code. Ribbentrop also said if Japan were to go to war with the Americans, Germany would, of course, join in immediately, and Hitler's intention was that there would be absolutely no question of Germany making a separate peace with England. Well, while theorists who challenge the conventional view they attack with a surprise treat this as a guarantee to join after Japan's attack, it can easily be taken as a guarantee to come to Japan's aid, as Germany had done for Italy and Libya. Now, interestingly enough, there are a number of stories um, about what happened. About, uh, that's interesting. Now, there have been so many different theories that um, I mentioned the book, Day of Deceit, The Truth About FDR and Pearl Harbor by Robert Stennett. came out in 99. Now, he did come up with new evidence that, in fact, we had broken the Japanese naval code. Now, that's never been firmly confirmed, either way. And the message in, that he keeps referring to wasn't uh, decrypted till after Pearl Harbor took place. Now, aside from questioning the competence and honesty of two officers in U.S. Naval Intelligence, that's uh, involving the Japanese fleet's radio silence and U.S. radio direction finding, The those who believe um, FDR um, covered up um, have discounted anything that um, would tend to support. Um, the fact that we knew what was going to happen. Now, there's still a few um, survivors of Pearl Harbor who, uh, in fact, when I was 101 years old, the... Um, Now, the cream of our fleet at the time, uh, such as the USS Arizona, which was a uh, battleship, it exploded and sank after it was hit by several aerial bombs. 
2,403 men uh, died in the attack. And there are stories that a number, uh, in fact, there's one story that uh, a number of, of um, sailors trapped in the wreckage of the ships survived for 18 days but couldn't be rescued. Now, um, had I been trapped in a sunken ship, I'd ask them where they wanted a new door. But having just been attacked in what you thought was the safest citadel in that part of the world, um, the um, no. Our military in those days had a liking for symmetry. So there was Battleship Row, where everything was lined up nice and neat. Um, and there was a lot of that. Um, with the planes, they were lined up side by side on the runway. Sitting ducks. Um... Let's see. There was something I had written. Where did I put it? You know, there's been a number of um, questions. Was uh, in regard to Churchill, Roosevelt, and Pearl Harbor, was it a conspiracy? Or confusion. What uh, what actually did take place? And did FDR lie to the American people? <clears throat> you know, I hate it when they update. Um, You know, conspiracy theories really are nothing new. They have been around ever since the beginnings of civilization. But now they've taken on a new life thanks to the Internet. Uh, a lot of folks take the position if it's on the Internet, it's got to be true. Because as one of the uh, tabloids said, they check and double check. Um... Let's see. I got an email asking uh, now there are a number of interesting facts. Um New information has been discovered in the last couple of years 
On the morning of December 7, 1941, a Wix-class destroyer USS Ward attacked and sank a Kohio-Ateki-class midget submarine near the entrance to the harbor. Negative, not only the first shot fired on that day, but the first official American shots in the war. The Japanese sub's uh, periscope was spotted above the water by the minesweeper Condor, which alerted the crew of the ward, who opened fire on the intruder. The, uh, so did we start World War II? Now, coming in from all directions, the, the defenders had no idea which direction they should fire because the Japanese um, attacking planes literally um, came from every direction. Wave after wave, Japanese planes arrived targeting airstrips and ships and buildings and storage areas and groups of people. Dive bombers, fighters, torpedo bombers, and high-level bombers filled the sky, dropped their payloads across the island of Oahu. Two waves of aircraft enacted a heavy toll on their targets, namely Battleship Row. That was the primary uh, target. Pearl Harbor attack began at 7.55 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Except those on duty, most folks were, um, as they used to say in the military, uh, enjoying their rack time. Now, the Japanese aircraft are launched from the Japanese fleet, located north of Hawaii, consisted of 65 ships, four heavy aircraft carriers, two heavy cruisers, 35 submarines, two light cruisers, nine oilers, two battleships, and 11 destroyers. 353 aircraft, 40 torpedo planes, 103 level bombers, 131 dive bombers, and 79 fighters. And on December 8th, the day after the attack on Pearl Harbor, now remember, the dates are one day in advance of continental U.S. because of the, um, the distances involved. But on December 8th, the day after the attack, Congress approved Roosevelt's declaration of war. We declared war on Japan. Three days later... On the 11th, Japanese allies Germany and Italy declared war on the U.S. And more than two years after the, uh, the war began, we finally entered World War II. Now, the Japanese forces had planned to use their submarines for a number of different tasks before, during, and after the Pearl Harbor attack. And before the Japanese bombers and fighter planes arrived from their aircraft carriers to the north, these submarines were supposed to scout and penetrate the harbor's defenses. Once the attack from the air started, they were to release their uh, torpedoes at prime targets and escape back out the channel. After the attack, these submarines were to station themselves in pre-designated spots of the, around the islands to pick up any pilots who couldn't make it back to their carriers due to fuel or mechanical issues. One such pilot landed uh, on uh, Nihau, a small Hawaiian island near Kauai, and unfortunately for the Japanese pilot, the submarine had long since left its position and stranded him. Now, in spite of what most folks believe, in the surprise attack on Battleship Row December 7th, the Arizona and Oklahoma were damaged beyond repair by 
bombs or torpedo hits. But most ships did return to service. Of the 2,026 American sailors and Marines killed in the attack, 1,606 had been on board these two ships. Now, three more battleships, the California, the West Virginia, and the Nevada, sank upright in the shallow waters of the harbor. They were salvaged, and while many such vessels didn't return to the battlefield for a number of years, most suffered irreparable damage. In fact, the battleship Missouri is now anchored there. Now, the, the Arizona Memorial and battleship Missouri are what you might call bookends to the war. And these two mighty naval battleships served the U.S. Uh, proudly for many decades. They're anchored near each other in the harbor. Battleship Arizona resting below the, the waves of the harbor where it blew up and sank during the attack on that uh, unforgettable date. Battleship Missouri represents the end of the war. This ship, launched in 44, participated in the shelling of Iwo Jima in Okinawa before sailing into Tokyo Bay to actually host the formal surrender of Japan. The surrender was signed at a small table on her teak decks with sailors and marines witnessing the proceedings. Now, one fact about the USS Arizona that honors the survivors is that they have the option to join their lost comrades and make the ship their final resting place. Crew members who served on board the U.S. Arizona during the attack and choose to have their ashes deposited by divers beneath one of the sunken Arizona gun turrets. Roughly 44 Arizona survivors have chosen this option. Other military survivors can choose to have their ashes scattered whether a ship was located during the attacks. The last person to be interred in the ship was in 2019. Now, there are a number of people who have asked why the Japanese chose to attack Pearl Harbor. Japan's naval forces depended on the U.S. to supply natural and industrial resources, such as oil, by which its forces would be significantly impaired. And this led Japan to target Southeast Asia, rich in minerals and oil. And while they knew such an invasion would lead to war against America, Japan decided to destroy America's Pacific fleet to prevent America's interference in its plans to access countries' resources in Southeast Asia. Japan called it the Southern Resource Area. And that was allegedly the primary reason behind the attack on Japan, on Pearl Harbor by Japan. Now, Japan concentrated on first destroying battleships in battleship rows that uh, thought the Pacific Fleet battles would be decided using the battleships. And this proved to be a mistake on Japan's part. Had Japan focused the attack beyond the fleet and targeted Navy repair uh, yards, oil tank farm, submarine base, and the old headquarters building, it could have inflicted a lot greater damage than it did. Because the plan was made to focus on battleships, American aircraft carriers were untouched by the attack. In fact, they were out to sea, which gave rise to a number of conspiracy theories. They were out to sea because uh, they knew the, uh, the attack was coming. And this led to America being able to rebuild quickly for the war on Japan and ultimately reverse the Japanese advance after the setbacks of 
early 1942. Admiral Hara Tadachi summed up the Japanese uh, end result when he made the comment, we won a great tactical victory at Pearl Harbor, and as a result, we lost the war. You know, the day before the attacks, USS Arizona took on a full load of fuel, nearly one and a half million gallons. And much of that fuel helped ignite the explosion and subsequent fires that destroyed the ships. But some fuel continues to seep out of the wreckage to this day. According to the uh, information I heard on the History Channel, the Arizona continues to spill about nine quarts of oil into the harbor every day. And this adds to the emotional gravity of this memorial. And those visiting often refer to this phenomenon as the tears of the Arizona. You know, the attack on Pearl Harbor created a wave of patriotism and outrage, as you might guess. Less than a year after Pearl Harbor, 50 million of the 132 million Americans were employed in the war effort, working for the government in various capacities. This made the country the largest socialist democracy in the world. Mass industrialism allowed the U.S. Navy to build all sorts of boats quickly, including 77 Gato-class submarines. They were built between 1940 and 1944. You know, the idea for the attack on Pearl Harbor was conceived by Japanese Admiral Isaruko Yamamoto and Captain Minoru Ginda. And two things inspired the idea. One was a prophetic book. The other was a historic attack. The Great Pacific War was a book written in 1925 by Hector Baywater, British Naval Authority. A realistic account of a clash between the U.S. and Japan that began with the Japanese destruction of the U.S. fleet and proceeded to a Japanese attack on Guam and the Philippines. When Britain's Royal Air Force successfully attacked the Italian fleet at Toronto, November 11, 1940, Yamamoto was convinced that Bywater's fiction could become a reality. In other words, he thought he had a battle plan all laid out for him. Then we have what was known as Operation K. That was a second attack on uh, Oahu. The Japanese actually attacked Pearl Harbor a second time, March 4, 1942. And this is what they called Operation K. They used two four-engine naval flying boats, nicknamed Emily by the Allies. It's somewhat like our PBY, but a lot larger, and they could carry a ton of bombs and had a crew of ten. Also known as the Flying Porcupine, it had five 20-millimeter cannons and four machine guns and tourists and blisters. This time, though, we saw them coming, and just after midnight, Air Defense dispatched fighters to patrol over Pearl Harbor. Unable to spot their target due to cloudy weather. One of these um, Emily's dropped its bombs on a remote hillside, and the other one dropped their bombs into the ocean. In other words, there was no damage. Now, while most people can tell you the Japanese were responsible for the attack, not everybody realizes the Japanese now visit the memorial in droves. 
It's also one of our strongest allies, and it's the largest source of international tourists to the state of Hawaii. Japanese visitors pay their respects at National Memorial, just as Americans do. The uh, There's a lot of facts that very few people uh, know about uh, Pearl Harbor. You know, the island of Oahu was conquered by uh, Hawaiian King Kamehameha in 1795. Um, as Western uh, traders began to arrive regularly in the islands. This new leader of the Kingdom of Hawaii learned that foreigners valued the oyster pearl little river flowing into the lagoon called the Waimoli, meaning waters of pearl. And he had native divers of the area gathering them night and day for trade with the West. And this was about the time this large lagoon became known as Pearl Harbor. By 1818, Kamehameha was given an oyster dredge, and the lagoon was soon harvested for nearly all its oysters. Ancient times, the entrance to Pearl Harbor was known by the Hawaiian name uh, Pereloa, meaning Long Hill, named for the straight escarpment that lined the long entrance to the lagoon. It was known to have 27 fish ponds lining its shores, and natives had fished, farmed, and developed this area for over 600 years. Well, you know, 1887, Pearl Harbor's military history began when the U.S. Navy set up a coaling station in the harbor. In fact, it became one of the major reasons for the overthrow of the Hawaiian monarchy in 1893. And in 1898, the fact we annexed the kingdom. Spanish-American War began that same year in the Philippines and Cuba, which ended with the, us winning both territories from the Spanish. This allowed us to uh, establish trade routes in Asia and the Caribbean. Pearl Harbor was used to stage troops for the Philippines invasion, and there was a major development of dry docks, filling stations, and airfields that followed. You know, during the attack, there were 102 U.S. ships stationed at Pearl Harbor. 69 received no damage at all. There were 15 that had minor damage and 11 more that sustained medium to heavy damage, and seven were sunk in Pearl Harbor. But of those seven, only three were a total loss, the Arizona, the Oklahoma, and the Utah. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor also involved the use of midget submarines. One of these subs, commanded by Kazuo Sakamaki, ran aground on Oahu's Wamaloya Beach. He tried to blow it up, but the explosives failed. He was captured by Army personnel. He was actually the first POW captured by U.S. forces during the war. Midget submarine was recovered and eventually toured the U.S. as a promotional piece used to sell war bonds. I don't know if many of the younger listeners uh, remember or ever knew but even up into the 50s when you went to the movies there was a pitch for selling war bonds you could buy them in the lobby now though the attack was devastating 
U.S. Navy only permanently lost two ships in the attack on Pearl Harbor, the Arizona and the Oklahoma. All the other damaged ships refloated and repaired. Many took no more than six months. So had the Japanese bombed the nearby repair facilities and dry docks, they would have caused much more damage than they did. They also failed to damage any of the aircraft carriers around the port during the raid because they believed the battleships would be the, the main um, units we would depend on to win the war. Turned out the aircraft carriers were the uh, main weapon that would lead to the the end of the Japanese Navy. Now, there were, as I said earlier, there were seven ships sunk completely during the attack. All but three were back in service by 44. Arizona and Utah are both uh, Pearl Harbor memorials. Oklahoma was stripped of usable materials and while being towed to California after the war, took on water and sank 500 miles off Hawaii. The three that didn't return to service are all battleships. The battleships were the second, actually the secondary target of the attack after no aircraft carriers were found. And Utah, although it was classified as a battleship, was used for training and target practice only. It was torpedoed by young Japanese pilots as being um, mistakenly identified as something else. The attack on the, uh, the Utah was not part of the plan. The sunken ships in Pearl Harbor were the Soto Yomo, uh, the harbor tugboat, Oglala, which was a mine layer, the California, which was a battleship, the West Virginia, which was a battleship, the Arizona, which was a battleship, the Oklahoma, which was a battleship, and the Utah, which was a what's called a dreadnought battleship. You know, interestingly enough, when you look at all the facts, 23 sets of brothers died in the attack on the Arizona. At the time, it was common for brothers to serve together. Arizona actually had 37 sets of brothers on board at the time of the attack. That was a total of 78 men. Only 15 survived the attack. This tragic loss to American families eventually led to brothers being stationed on different ships and combat units to limit the losses to families back home. You know, one sailor aboard the USS Utah had his daughter's ashes with him when the ship was sunk, which resulted in entombing the girl on the ship. Her name was Nancy Lynn Wagner. Two days old when she died, her father brought her on board with the intention of burying her at sea. He never got the chance as the Japanese torpedoed the ship in the opening minutes of the attack and it capsized at its um, burst spot. And although most of the crew escaped, 64 men died and were entombed in the wreckage. That wreckage remains uh, in the harbor and 1972 memorials erected near the ship. And in fact, in 2003, a memorial service was held in the baby's honor at the site of the second ship. You know, Pearl Harbor is not a very deep harbor. The average depth is only about 45 feet. When dropped, the torpedo would drop to its depth of 100 feet before rising to make the successful attack. They had to add wooden fins to the torpedoes and practice for almost a year to learn how to launch attacks on the ships in that harbor. So this was something that was well thought out. Now, I mentioned earlier that there was a second attack on Pearl Harbor that took place March 4, 1942. 
This was the Operation K that didn't really go as uh, planned. They each plane carried four 550-pound bombs. The mission was a reconnaissance mission of Pearl Harbor, and they wanted to bomb the repair and salvage operations they didn't get the first time. The Japanese originally planned to use five Kawanishi H-8K long-range uh, boat planes, but only two were available at the time of the mission. And this array to be one of the longest bombing missions flown during the war. They approached the islands about 1 in the morning when radar stations on Kauai spotted the planes. P-40 Warhawk fighters were scrambled to intercept, but uh, because of the heavy cloud cover, they couldn't find the Japanese planes flying at 15,000 feet. And on Oahu, an island-wide blackout meant that the terror air raids in the same thick black cloud prevented the two planes from identifying Honolulu and Pearl Harbor that night. One plane dropped its bombs in the ocean near the entrance to Pearl Harbor, and the other dropped its bombs near President Theodore Roosevelt High School on the slopes of Tantalus Peak, north of Honolulu. Now, nobody was injured, and the damage was minimal. There were a few broken windows at the school. Both the Army and the Navy blamed each other for the explosions, each accusing the other of jettisoning munitions over Tantalus Peak. Now, on March 10, 1942, the Japanese tried to do a third attack using a single plane shot by, down by Navy fighters over Midway. Now, attracting over a million visitors a year is the USS Arizona Memorial, built over the second hull of the, second, of the battleship. It's probably the most well-known memorial of World War II. The construction was finished in 1962 at a cost of nearly a half million dollars. In today's dollars, that's about four, four and a half million. It's all done by public and private donations as decreed by then President Eisenhower. Now Elvis Presley had just finished a two-year stint in the Army at that point. He loved Hawaii, and in 1961, he performed a benefit concert at Pearl Harbor for the memorial that raised nearly $65,000. Interestingly enough, there are quite a number of um, tours you can take uh, that uh, cover a lot of the uh, much more detail than what I'm giving you in this uh, show. You know, a lot of people have asked why they bothered to attack Pearl Harbor. Because they believed it would severely cripple the U.S. fleet and buy them time in the Pacific and Southeast Asia. So they thought that by attacking and damaging our fleet, they could launch their attacks without interference from the U.S. Navy and that'd give them time to dig in defensively and consolidate their gains. The attack only lasted an hour and 15 minutes. And in that time, a lot of damage was done. They dropped 421 bombs, shot 40 torpedoes, and um, killed 2,388 people in Pearl Harbor. 
compared to 235 people in Darwin. It's generally believed that 68 civilians were killed at Pearl. Only 25 were killed at Darwin. Darwin was another location the Japanese uh, launched a surprise attack on. You know, there are many people who believe that we dropped our atomic bombs on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima uh, as retaliation for uh, the initial attack on Pearl Harbor, but that had nothing to do with it. Uh, Truman decided, um, over the objections of Secretary of War Stimson, General Eisenhower, and a number of the Manhattan Project scientists, to use the atomic bombs to bring the war to a quick end and avoid a high casualty rate. Because if we invaded the home islands, everybody on the island was thought would, uh, would oppose our troops. You know, the uh, smoke from the burning planes and hangars filled the sky. Oil from the sinking ships clogged the harbor. The fleet in Pearl Harbor, the focus of the attack, suffered the greatest loss. Almost half of the casualties off one ship when the USS Arizona exploded. And eventually, the uh, Tokyo War Crimes Trials were held, and it was declared that uh, the Pearl Harbor attack was actually a war crime and illegal. You know, while we um, we fired the the, um, the first shot, so to speak, at Pearl Harbor, uh, the first shot of World War II was fired uh, September 1st, 1939, by the German battleship Swissig Holstein. They attacked the po Polish fort at uh, Westerplatte, which guarded the, the Gdansk Harbor. They were considered the first shots of the war. The, um, let's see. You know, a few interesting facts. The, a, uh, the last surviving Japanese combat pilot who took part in Pearl Harbor actually died May 3rd, 2016. Name was Harada. Now, the retaliation, if you will, for Pearl Harbor was considered to be the Doolittle Raid, also known as the Tokyo Raid, which took place April 18, 1942, when we attacked the Japanese capital, Tokyo, on the Isle of Honshu during World War II. The first American air operation to strike the Japanese archipelago. And certainly it uh, did... Uh, 
to bring the war across to home. Let's see. Is there anything else of interest? Hmm. Well, looks like we've pretty much run out of time. We'll be back tomorrow and have some more interesting little tidbits of information. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying you all have a great evening. Bye-bye.